Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. We don't live in a world in which there is pornography. We live in a pornographic world. We often miss our opportunity to begin, even as we teach children, to suggest that sex and God are very deeply connected because we're really talking about what our deepest longings are that we have eventually with our bodies. It's pointing to something else. Dear young married couple, you know, I was driving in the car with Chris the other day and I said, you know, babe, I wish that God didn't make me with so much desire <laughs> and being a little vulnerable here. You can read between the lines. Today we talked to Kurt Thompson, MD, and he has some really interesting and profound insights on desire and maybe what God is trying to tell us through desire. Yes, it was an incredibly deep conversation. And Dr. Kurt Thompson really weaves together an understanding of what he calls interpersonal neurobiology and a Christian view of what it means to be human. He's just passionate about educating and encouraging others as they seek to fulfill their intrinsic desire. And that intrinsic desire is to feel known, to feel valued, to feel connected. So he's a psychiatrist, an author, and really, like I said, a deep thinker. And so it was a privilege to have this conversation with him. So put your thinking caps on and let's have a conversation. Kurt Thompson, uh, welcome to the podcast. We're so honored that you would be on with us today. Adam, Krissa, it's a joy and I'm, um, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to talking about our topic. Yes. Yeah. So our topic is an interesting one because the word desire gets thrown around in so many contexts, especially mm. when we're discussing marriage, sexuality, and in the Christian world. Um, mm. So talk to us a little bit about the word desire and do our desires matter? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I think the, um, it's, the question, do our desires matter, is, I mean, it's, it's striking that we would even ask that question uh, because it would appear that uh, just about every living creature uh, behaves mm -hmm. as if it has longings. And then you get the human creature and it comes into the world and it immediately notices, long, we notice longings. And, and these are longings that are not unlike other animals, other mammals, like but they, they have a longing and a desire to be fed and to be uh, comforted and to be able to rest and all, all these things that we all have. Mm -hmm. It's just that at some point, we also notice that humans in particular, uh, those that eventually end up flourishing at the end of the day, um, are those who are also expressing and having honored their desire for connection, mm -hmm. their desire to be seen in the soul of desire. We talk about these four S words, to be seen, soothe, safe, secure. There is this longing mm -hmm. for us to be connected to others. And of course, you look at a toddler and one might say, well, a toddler desires all kinds of things that only has to do with a toddler. The toddler's not interested in sharing its toys. It's not interested in the, in the parents other than what the parents can do for the toddler. <laughs> yeah. that's, what it, that's what its yeah. desires are. But even as we age, we discover that, gosh, I really do desire to have a good relationship with this other person. And it, I, I desire them to desire to be in a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, it, it might require some sacrifice on my part. If I want to have a connection with this person, I'm going to bend on their, you know, so there are these longings that we have, but 
we then see that the children with this longing, this desire to be seen, be soothed, safe, secure, to go out into the world, there's another element that begins to emerge. Mm -hmm. And this has to do with this longing to extend oneself by making things. Mm -hmm. Part of our desires are not just, I, as at the end of the day, most people don't wanna just sit around and be fed. Yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe for a short period of time, but after a while that gets boring. Mm -hmm. I want to create things. I want to make things. In fact, you don't have to teach kids. Kids will come running into your kitchen at some point, right? Yep. So we've yep. said other places, they're going to give you the thing that they've made. Yeah. They're going to want you to put it on display and they want that to be seen. That thing that they've made mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. a, it, it is a, it is a way to connect them to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with greater connection, then they go back and they make the next thing, and they bring it out to us. And in many respects, once we like all that we've just said so far, one does not have to consider the biblical narrative to just watch these things happen in the world. Sure, right. But then we pull the curtain back, and we pull and we pull the camera back, and we see it on the very first page of the Bible. We see that yeah. the God who has made us is a desiring God. Let us make mankind in our image. So and to do that means we're, we're making mankind first to be a desiring creature, if they're going to be like us. And then they're going to be a creature who's going to make things like we make things. Mm. And so there is this longing for us to create beauty while we are also becoming beauty, but only in a context of vulnerable connection with others who are actually quite different from us, mm -hmm. but whom we need and who need us in order to complete that exercise of pushing Eden further and further into the wilderness that we would have read about in the first two pages of the Bible. Beautiful. We could just end right there. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I love that. So what do our desires tell us about God? Well, I mean, one thing is that... Um, our desires as they are, I mean, we can't, we can't forget the fact that there did then come a third page in the Bible. <laughs> and if we are going to grow up and to become more mature, uh, like any athlete, like any musician, we are going to be given tests. Mm -hmm. And by tests, I don't just mean examinations. We're going to yeah. be given opportunities to do things that are hard for us to do. Right. I'm going to put more weight on the bar that I'm going to bench press. I'm going to run an extra three miles beyond what I've run so far. I'm going to take this next piece of Chopin and I'm going to work that that has been far the, you know, the most difficult piece that I've done. We're going mm -hmm. to do these kinds of things. And that whole notion of testing is showing up on the third page of the Bible. Yeah. You're given a test. Mm -hmm. You can become more of what it means to be human or you can become less. And it's very simple. You can eat everything that I've given you, or you can take one thing. And they had a hard time with that. Now, granted, they had help. Mm -hmm. They had help in having a hard time. Right. And we all have help in having a hard time making these choices. But we then have this sense of desire getting tangled up with the shame that was foisted upon them in that third page of the Bible, Adam and Eve. And so for some of us, when we say, well, what does desire tell us about God? What does it tell us about our desire for God or the desires that God has for us? Sometimes it's difficult for us to answer this because there's so much tangled up in my head right. about how I'm supposed to answer that in the right way. We do read in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in the hearts of humankind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 10. And what we, what we understand from that is that eternity for the Hebrew, that word, the English word eternity for the Hebrew, that's not just referring to a measurement of time. Okay. It's a measurement of the depth of the experience of the life of God. Hmm. It's the depth of experience, this depth of longing, this depth of desire that we have. And the question is, Am I able to channel that desire in a way that creates beauty and goodness, 
while allowing myself to be tested along the way, mm-hmm. allowing myself to allow God to be in charge of what's good and bad, mm-hmm. or am I going to find myself taking in order to circumvent those desires to get what I think I need because I'm actually afraid in the long run, the thing that I really need, that I really want, I'm not going to get. Hmm. That is so good. And so like that explains in some ways our consumer culture of like this never ending, like you said, eternity is in your heart that we have this idea that Oh, you know, if I can have that golf club, I will be so much more uh, happy. Right? <laughs> right? Well, well, then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. There's, there's, there's no question. And there is this sense that when my desires become bent, it's not uncommon for them to be associated with something that I'm going to take, something that I'm going to do. Yeah. Mm. As opposed to my desire being met by something being given to me over which mm. I choose not to have agency, over which I choose just to be a recipient. I mean, this mm. is why conception, like having kids, mm-hmm. is as mysteriously beautiful as it is. Like there is an act for which we have agency, sexual right. intercourse. Right. And beyond that, like there's not much that the adults in the room who've been participating, there's not much they can do about this. Yeah. Right. And so, and 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 so, hence, it it is it is a waiting. It is is it it is it is a thing that we're we're like we know that I only have so much agency in this act, mm-hmm. and yet I long for it so deeply to be able to produce, to create, to regenerate, mm. and so. This is why also desire can be so tangled up with fear and our shame yeah. because what if I desire something that is legitimate, genuine, good, and I never, re- and I never realize it. Hmm. I mean, I think about the, your, your podcast is for young married couples. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there are those married couples that are listening who long to have a child who are not able to have a child. Right. Yeah. And it's really painful. Mm-hmm. And we think, you know, you can look around, many people look around the world like, well, like, why is that such a big deal? Mm-hmm. It is a big deal because is it, it because it is fundamental to the anthropology of what it means to be human. Yeah. Right. We were made to make other creatures. This does not mean that people who are not making other creatures are less than. We're simply saying that when we desire to do so, when we desire to enter into it, we're entering into the things that we were made to do. Right. Yeah. And Which then is to, be to un- create. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But we are also deeply aware that that act of creation depends upon other forces in the world over which I don't have any agency. Mm-hmm. Right. And when it doesn't happen, it's really painful because we're wondering, does God not care? I mean, he gave Elizabeth, John, mm-hmm. he gave Mary, Jesus, for crying out loud. Like, what's up with that? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, she wasn't even asking for it. Yeah. And so there is this yeah. sense in which this notion of desire is often tangled with our traumas, mm-hmm. with our worries, with our shame, with our sadness, with our grief. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you ask people, well, what do you want? They're like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because it's easier to say, I don't know, than it is to say, oh, I want this because if I said that, then I'm going to feel bad that I'm asking for something I shouldn't be asking for. Or we might ask, well, what's the answer to that question? I just need to know <laughs> what the right answer is so that when I answer the question, God's not going to be upset with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so there are, whole con- there are all kinds of ways in which we don't actually explore that. And yet it was our Lord himself his first words, John 1, 38, his first words in John's gospel, he turns to the Baptist's disciples who are fail, you know, coming after him, and he says to them, what do you want? Yeah. Hmm. What do you want? 
He really like he's question. really he really wants to know mm-hmm. what we want. You talk about a pure desire to want children, to want to create in that way. Um, and then there's also in the context of marriage, you know, there's the desire for that sexual experience, um, for it to be given and to be a recipient of that experience. And so many marriages that we work with in our counseling office, uh, are experiencing what a lot of people call a drive gap or a desire gap. Can you talk a little bit about desire in that context of, of sex drive in a marriage? Guys. The Eros Tour has begun. People are calling it a tour and we liked it, so we're rolling with it now. So the first stop on the Eros Tour was in Indianapolis where hundreds of couples came together. It was beautiful. They were working on creating a more passionate and intimate marriage. Really the kind of marriage that God intends for all of us to experience. Listen to what Whitney had to say on Instagram. She said this, The Eros Conference by Dear Young Married Couples surpassed my hopes this weekend, and my hopes were high because I love those guys. We love you too, Whitney. We love you. She said, Adam and Krista packed every single second of the conference with information, resources, encouragement, and even some beautiful godly conviction. The way they combined scripture with science and research was flawless. My husband and I both started crying at the first exercise. She goes on to say, in this season, we need strong, healthy, flourishing marriages more than ever. Marriages that reflect Christ in the church. Marriages that lead to sanctification. Marriages that are passionate and fun. I mean, we discussed some pretty spicy things that were in Song of Solomon. So it's safe to say that God is not wanting anyone to have a boring marriage. We love that, Whitney. We want to give you those tools, insights to help you navigate this tricky subject and help you assess where you are now and empower you as a couple to get to where God is calling you in your marriage, your sex life, and your calling. Yes, come join us, guys. The Gulf Coast in Biloxi, Mississippi, June 21st and 22nd. You can even just make it a getaway for the two of you. Um, you could fly into New Orleans, take a beautiful coastal drive over to Biloxi. Uh, it's only like an hour and a half. And then just set your marriage up for success. Go register now at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com slash eros, or just hit the link in the show notes. We'll see you there. Well, you know, one of the things, uh, I don't know if you know much about, you know, I was a chemistry major and um, we used to talk about uh, in, in chemistry experiments, we talk about rate limiting steps. Okay. And you know that sex has an inbuilt rate limiting step and it's called orgasm. Mm-hmm. And when it's done, it's done. Mm-hmm. And so people at first glance think, oh, I just want sex, except yeah, but you just can't make it happen as you really want to because there's a rate limiting step. It's built into the mechanism. Okay. Mm-hmm which reminds us that when we say we have desire for you know, a sexual connection, mm-hmm. we'd like to ask the question, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Beyond the mechanics of the anatomy, what do you mean? What are you hoping that this connection is going to do for you? Mm-kay. What is beyond this? Because sex is always pointing to something beyond. Even the, the anatomy of this is pointing to something beyond. If you have intercourse and then you conceive, you have a child. And the child is pointing, is, it's the thing that's being pointed beyond, right? We're pointing beyond right. the intercourse to the child. And the child is, comes into the world and you're gr- grateful. And then, you know, now you're not sleeping for the next, you know, eight weeks. <laughs> you know, right? we, we, we thought we loved this idea until this idea showed up on our laps. You know what I mean? And then and then they're like 13 years old and you're still wondering, like, why did we do this? <laughs> and all these things. And so the, the point being that we're really asking the question, what is that desire that has its rate limiting step? What is it pointing to? When he says, I want to have sex with Brenda, what is the message that he's sending to her mm-hmm. about her? What is the message he's sending to her about himself? Is it possible that what he's saying is, I don't just want to have sex with you. I want to know that you want me to be present with you. I want to know that you want to be hospitable to me, Mm -hmm. that you're welcoming me. And this is what's really crucial and important about this is that, um, there's no, there's no question that, that, the sexual act is an act that is intended for those adults who are in a committed relationship 
the nature of which is able to contain and hold the sexual act. But there are also simultaneously very, very young parts of us that are brought into the room when this happens. Right. For men, in many respects, they're actually looking for mom. For women, they're looking for a father who wants them, who really wants to be in the room with them. Now we're not, and let me just say, these are not mutually exclusive things. It's not like, oh, it either happens, it's either this or it's that. I'm Mm -hmm. saying these things can be tangled up together and they don't have to be bad things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, But what it means is that when we are talking about sexual desire, we can just, we can think it's just a simple thing of like, it, it's just arousal and physiologic function, and there you go. And that's all that that's about. I'm a male. Right. I want to do that. And that kind of a posture is a rather um, uh, underdeveloped way of imagining mm-hmm. what is actually happening here that God has created for us, that God has provided for us. Right. And, so, and so it's important for couples, I think, to be curious with each other <clears throat> and, and to be curious without being condemning. Mm-hmm. Because if Brian were to say, "Oh, this is really what what I want from you know from Mary, right? If this is what I really want, mm-hmm. I'm really longing to know, Mary, that you want to be hospital to me." It's going to be important for Mary to hear that, without interpreting him to be saying, "You're not doing that enough for me." It's going right. to be important to hear that and be curious about, "Oh, what part of Brian, mm-hmm. what part of my husband, is talking? How old is he?" What is that? What, what part of his story is in play here? Mm-hmm. And so I think these questions where people have different levels, different energies around desire, it raises, it creates opportunity for lots of curiosity mm-hmm. about parts of our lives that are not primarily about sex, but that sex is activating. It's mm, good. And it also um, creates opportunity for people to be curious about how they can love one another by being open to what the other wants, Mm. while at the same time, both parties are being aware of how much risk it's requiring Mm -hmm. for each party to be vulnerable and to, and to, you know, to take the next step of extending themselves in a way that's difficult Mm. to extend themselves. But again, I think that when these moments arise, we have to be careful not to just simply, uh, you know, reduce it to a matter of uh, one wants something more than another one wants without being curious about what the backdrop stories are for each of them that this is representing. Mm, That's Uh, good. It's it's very helpful too. Like, I love what you're doing. Is it really... (laughs) you're asking this question at a very deep level or you're asking couples to ask this question of like, what do you want? But not being satisfied with, I just want sex. But there's many other questions that could be asked if one just opens up with curiosity Mm -hmm. in a loving way and says, is that really what you want? Mm -hmm. Is it connection? Is it just to get off? A question for you. What about, what would you say, and I think everybody has experienced this as a, as a adult that hasn't met a spouse or hasn't met that one, Mm -hmm. what do they do with these desires that, that they're like, you know, I have this overwhelming desire to go find that person, but I don't want to go watch pornography, a pornea of that desire. Um, what, how would you instruct couples or, or individuals like that to, to pursue well, I, th- I think it's it's useful for us to have a proper anthropology and theology about what we're talking about in the first mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think we're all aware that we live in the West in this in our in our moment mm-hmm. at a particular time when significant um, portions of Jesus followers have um, uh, sometimes uh, sometimes consciously, often non-consciously, 
elevated. We live, we talk about life as if uh, marriage is the holy grail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we do it very subtly and such that uh, even the way we ask this question, what do we say to single people who have this desire and so forth mm -hmm. and so on? Because we're what we're really, you're not, I'm not saying you're saying this. I'm saying that what we can hear is, yeah, because I have to wait until like I get the Holy Grail. What am I going to do in right. the meantime? Right. right? Yeah. Yep. And, and, it, and it raises questions about the degree to which we have placed marriage on a pedestal that it doesn't deserve. Mm -hmm. it, also, it also points to how we place sexuality in general on a pedestal that it doesn't deserve. Right. It also emphasizes how much we have not talked about the way sexuality and our longing for God are intricately connected. Mm. If you think about it, I mean, why, you know, why, why, as my friend Bart once asked, you know, why can't you just make a baby by shaking hands? <laughs> you know, you shake hands with, you know, 10 people every day, you might, yeah. right? It's not very vulnerable. It's all pretty protected. You can wash your hands. You just shake your hand, right? Done. Why, right. Why does the creation of a new child require the use of the organs in our bodies that are the most vulnerable anatomically and are associated with the most fragile and fraught experiences yeah. mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. How is it that intimacy, the delicacy of intimacy has been so tied up with that, with, you know, with this, you know, being childbearing people. Mm -hmm. why, 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 do, why do we do that? And we would say there's something about, again, that this longing to create, this longing to be seen, soothed, safe, secure, mm -hmm. is certainly uh, anatomically housed in that part of us for the purpose of recognizing this larger purpose of God in the world. Mm -hmm. And so we would want to know for anybody, I mean, first of all, we don't live in a world in which there is pornography. We live in a pornographic world. Mm -hmm. which means it's very difficult to go anywhere without it being foisted upon you that mm -hmm. you need to somehow like find a way to get off like this mm -hmm. is what you this is what you have to do mm -hmm. it's expected it's normal it's natural when is it happening for you why is it not happening for you all the right. things right <clears throat> and in that regard we often miss our opportunity to begin even as we teach children to suggest that sex and God are very deeply connected hmm. because we're really talking about what our deepest longings are that we have eventually with our bodies mm -hmm. and that that is pointing to something else. Hmm. Yeah. That is pointing to something else. And that's true about everything. Like I just, you know, I, I, I want to have a really great hamburger. I have a desire for it and I have it and then I'm done. And then the next day comes and I like, yeah, I had the great hamburger. I'm not thinking about that hamburger that much. It's like, you know, right? Because this whole notion of desire is really rooted ultimately in my longing to be the delight of the one who's looking at me. Mm. That's what I really want. Yeah. That's what continues to last. Mm. Even when I'm in pain, even when I'm suffering, even when things are not going well, even in the middle of my shame, I'm longing to be seen, soothed, safe, and made secure. Mm. And that sex is a way in which I'm drawn to another to accomplish that. But in some respects, it's just the beginning. Sex brings us in the door, but then I have to live in the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in some respects, we would say, you know, it, it always strikes me, um, you know, when you see movies that are going to have uh, nudity in the movie, mm. in some way, shape, or form, it will say... Uh, for mature audiences, mm. for adult audiences. Mm. What's interesting is that the actual scenes that you see are of people who are behaving very immaturely. It's people <laughs> who are just, it's it, right. I mean, it's, it's people who are doing things that are very 
underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. Like who like wants to have sex in front of a film, you know, a, a, a film producer so that billions of people can watch them do this. Right. Like this is what children do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not what adults do. This is not for adults. This is for children, right? (laughs) This is for underdeveloped people. And so this whole thing, so what we have to recognize is that if I am paying so much attention only to sexuality, it is an example of how my imagination has yet not expanded to take up residence in the adult person that God wants me to become. So for our listeners, our listeners who may be single and our listeners who, who were once married and are now single again for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole notion of like, well, what do we do with this desire? I would say, I would want to know who are the people by whom you are being deeply known, with whom you are having the kinds of conversations mm-hmm. in which you can name your sexual desire and then be curious about what is this really about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If this desire is not being met, what is that telling you about you? What's the story that you're telling? about yourself yeah what is it that you're not going to get and all that is incorporated in all that Mm -hmm. and so i would say it is an invitation for us to do the work that allows our imagination to expand to fill that space that god expects us to take up as kings and queens in the world that is coming can we unpack that just a little bit because i think that is the solution for all of us, right, to become and to grow that I think that God is inviting us to do. What would you, um, I don't know, what would you prescribe to us, being the doctor, um, what would you prescribe to, to Christians in, to grow to a place that they are, are um, safe opening the doors to others so that they can see what's inside of them, like like you just saw, suggested. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I mean, it's it's a convention in our culture that, you know, we have a thing called psychotherapy and we have mm-hmm. therapists mm-hmm. or we have pastors. We have We have those who listen to us professionally. Mm-hmm. And we have those who listen to us professionally in some respects to no small part because otherwise we're not all that well practiced at listening to each other if we don't have a degree that's trained us how to do that. But I would say, and and in the soul of desire, you know, we, we begin to explore this notion of confessional communities and what it means for us to be in a community in which we are living and revealing our stories. Mm. Because um, what what's easy for us to do is that for our listeners to do is to hear this podcast and we are asking the question, what do we do? And if I'm an individual listening to this, what I'm asking is, what am I supposed to do? And what I would want to say to that listener is, I am not able to do this by myself. Mm. We have to help me address this. We have to help you address this. Yeah, That's how we have to be together. It's Even with marriages, yeah. we take one flesh unions, we get them married, we send them off and say, good luck. <laughs> and call us, right? Call us when you're in trouble and we'll send you to a marriage therapist. Yeah. But where is the community in which Mm -hmm. each couple has a community of couples Mm -hmm. in which we are asking these same kinds of questions in order for us to name our desires, to name our griefs, because it will be those griefs that we will be trying to cope with. Yeah. That will lead us to all kinds of behaviors that want to circumvent yes. the movement of, of desire toward God and want to take from the tree, want to take in any number of different ways that I can. And it's hard for me not to want to do that. But if I don't have a community to whom I can say, this is really hard to live in the life that is on planet earth and have someone say, you're absolutely right. This mm. is really hard. Yeah. Only then will I have the sense that I'm not by myself. Yeah. Mm. 
And if I'm not by myself, I am much more likely to be able to do the hard work that Jesus is calling us to, mm-hmm. which is why he didn't call us into several silos. He called us into a body. Wow. That's good. So not to make this whole thing way more complex than it is, um, to what degree does shame hold us back as you know, we send those couples off as one flesh units and like, all right, hooray for you. Good luck. And then we don't learn the correct way of, or not even correct way. We just don't learn to open up. So what degree does shame hold those people? It, would you say that that's probably what it is that holds people back from opening themselves up? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when we, when we talk about shame, um, there are any number of different features about it that are helpful and important to be aware of. One of which is that it shows up neurophysiologically and developmentally very early Hmm. in a person's life. By the time a child is 15 to 18 months of age, they can begin to have their first encounters with it. Hmm. Mind you, that's long before they have language. It's long before they have any understanding of it. It is a neurophysiologic event that children are experiencing. And at some point, once they start to accrue language, they start to tell stories about what this means. So it's early in human development. It's also significant, I think, to recognize that the Hebrews had lots of words that they could use to describe the first couple Mm -hmm. at the end of the second page of the Bible, at the end of chapter two of Genesis. Mm -hmm. They could have been naked and happy, naked and confident, naked and assured. Naked and unashamed are the words that the writers use. Yeah. Now, granted, they are priming us for what comes on the third page of the Bible. But in many respects, I think it's striking in that it is also introducing the notion of shame right up front Mm -hmm. in terms of its primal involvement in the human sin condition. Mm. In some respects you would say shame in many respects is the emotional expression of sin. Wow. And so when you say to what degree is shame involved, we'd say it's involved in everything. It's everywhere all the time. Mind you, it's important to know shame was built into the creation, right? It was a signal that God built in. This is the signal in and of itself. We're not saying it's a bad thing. What we're saying is that the way that we tend to respond to it often creates more trouble for us than what it's intended. Mm-hmm. You know, what if Adam had felt ashamed and said to Eve, I feel really bad. I'm going out to the edge of the garden and I'm going to wait till God shows up because I feel really bad. Hmm. So what he did, he hid. Yeah. And then when God comes and asks him questions, he further hides. Mm-hmm. throws his wife under the bus and so forth. All these things that shame is doing to us. Yeah. And so, but, but it's important for us to recognize that that shame began with the conversation that the snake has with the woman. The mm-hmm. nature of shame yeah. is very subtle. It's, it, it is silent. It doesn't want to declare its presence. Mm-hmm. And one can imagine that if you were the woman talking to the serpent, telling you essentially, God doesn't really love you nearly as much as you'd like to think that he does, right. essentially. Like, that's not going to feel very good. If God mm-hmm. isn't around, my husband certainly isn't speaking up. Mm-hmm. And so what am I going to do? Gosh, the tree looks really good. Yeah. yeah. And so anytime, so shame starts early. It's early in our operation and it depends on isolation. Yeah. So when we send any one individual or couple off to live life alone, assuming that somehow I will be able to do this by myself, we just basically paint a bullseye on their chests, waiting for evil to use shame in some way, shape or form to target them and to try to disintegrate them from becoming the creative couple that they were intended to be. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. 
it reminds me of a quote that you made. And I don't know if it was in the soul of desire or the soul of shame, but it has to do with both. And you said, it's not desire that we have to overcome. It's the shame that we have to overcome. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And because, you know, there is this sense of desire, this sense of longing, this like Eve wanted something. Mm-hmm. Was it really the fruit of the tree? Was that mm-hmm. really what she wanted? Or did she want something beyond that? Right. But she was being tested. Yeah. Yeah. She was being tested. Mm-hmm. And by tested, we mean she was being refined. The opportunity for refinement was happening. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that shame takes up residence. She and her husband hide from each other with their body coverings. Then they hide from God in the weeds. And they continue to hide from each other even in the conversation when God comes calling. Yeah. And we would say that that shame in some way, shape, or form then gets transmitted to their sons. Mm-hmm. Because totally. one page later, we see that Cain is killing Abel. And at first glance, it looks like sibling rivalry. But as we like to say, sibling rivalry is not about siblings. It's about parents. <laughs> yeah. Right? Jacob and Esau were primarily about Isaac and Rebekah. Sure was. Yeah. Yep. Joseph and his brothers were primarily about Jacob and his wives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. This does not mean that the children are not responsible for their actions. They certainly are. But they don't come to their actions by themselves. In the same way that Eve didn't come to her actions by herself though she is still completely responsible for them. Mm-hmm. What good. we want to do is to make sure that as we commission individuals into the world, as they are baptized, as they go off to college, as we commission couples, is that we know that we are communicating to them that we want you both, yes, to be your own individual self, and we want you to know that we don't ever want you to sense that you're by yourself. And so that sense of having a connected community, mm-hmm. not... And in, not an intrusive community, not an enmeshed community, yeah. but a connected community is going to be necessary, not just for your flourishing, but for your very survival. Yeah. So good. So what does a confessional community look like? Well, there's a lot we could say about this <laughs> I know. Uh, in and of itself. I mean, briefly, uh, this it's taking on a, a couple of forms. One are these confessional communities that we organized and that we run in our practice six to eight people with two therapists Mm -hmm. that have some have been meeting for as long as six to seven years now um, that in many respects um, provide a long-term relational environment for people to do the formational work of following jesus that's a large part of what it is it's beautiful and other forms of this uh, include non-therapist-led, just lay-led groups that we are developing through our nonprofit, the Center for Being Known. And it gives people an opportunity to do some of the similar work, although, albeit not with the help of a couple of therapists who are inviting people to go to levels that they otherwise might not be able to imagine. Hmm. That's neat that you've organized that. How can people do that um, just on a completely unprofessional, unorganized level. Well, I write a little bit about this in The Soul of Desire. There's a chapter in which people can kind of follow that along. And Mm -hmm. if they want to, they can try their hand at it. Um, One way to do it is, um, you know, we have these lay-led confessional community groups through the Center for Being Known that people can join, become part of one for six months. And that then launches them into having some experience of what that would look like. Should they want to do that in their church? Should they want to do that in their community? However, they would want to do that. But there's, you know, there's one element that is, I want to address. And that is that it's, it's often the case that people will ask, I mean, one of the most common questions that we are asked about this is where can I find one? Mm. And uh, my most common response is that these are not things to be found. These are things to be created. There you go. Right. And what, the, what, what does that mean? That means I would invite you to consider 
naming two people that you trust, mm -hmm. not just random people picked off the street, two people that you trust. And would you be willing to ask them if they would be willing to enter into a group, a conversation, a community mm -hmm. in which you are sharing your story with each other more truly such that you are becoming in the process more like Jesus. Now, we all have, many of, many of our listeners might be familiar with and have experience with things like small groups, mm -hmm. community groups in churches mm -hmm. and so forth mm -hmm. and so on. It's always a curiosity to me about like what those groups actually intend to accomplish. Yeah. Mm. What do we do when we come yeah. to, you know, John and Mary's house every Sunday night at five o'clock or at right. seven o'clock? Like, what are we, oh, we're doing a Bible study. What does that mean? We open the book of John and we're reading through it and so forth. None of which is a bad thing to do. Sure. It's, it's all which is very good to do. Yeah. At the end of a year, at the end of five years, one might ask the question, in what ways do the people in your group know to the depth of who you are such that if I were to ask them collectively, there would be nothing about you they wouldn't know? Hmm. Because we can know that if I'm going to be formed in the image of Jesus, it's going to require that he have access to the parts of me that actually need to be formed into his image. Yeah. <laughs> and those are typically the parts that I don't want anybody to know, let alone right. Jesus to know. <laughs> and oftentimes yeah. I don't even know what they are because mm -hmm. I've worked so hard to keep them out of everybody's sight line. Right, right. including yourself. Yeah, it requires Especially vulnerability myself. big time. Especially. Mm -hmm. And so I can read the Gospel of John and it won't touch most of my life. Hmm. It'll touch the part of my life that conveniently knows how to do a Bible study knows how to do a community group and I'll go home and I'll look at porn mm -hmm. or whatever it is that I'm going to do. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe it's not that grotesque, but the question is five years from now, will I be able to say that I am a categorically different person because I have been in this small group? Hmm. I might say, I might say, I'm glad I've been in this small group. I might say, I've really appreciated the Bible studies. All those things would be good. Yeah. I'm wondering to what degree are you any more, deeply, completely known yeah. at the end of that time. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus is not just coming to accompany us on a walk in the park. He's coming to utterly consume our old self yeah. for the purpose of a new self being born. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, uh, it's like that scene in C.S. Lewis's book, the great divorce where the man is standing with a creature on his shoulder and one of the burning ones approaches him and says, may I kill it? Mm -hmm. And he's really loath to let him, he's not sure he wants him to do this because it's only in allowing that kind of brightness, that kind of heat to consume the parts of us that are trying to devour us. Can we become the queens and kings in the new heaven and earth that is coming that God intends for us to be? Wow. That's good. This is, this is training ground. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for your wisdom. And you put a lot of time thinking, studying, writing in community. Yep. Um, I'm just, I'm grateful for your wisdom. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Where can people find your books? I know you have many. We've highlighted mm -hmm. a couple on this podcast. Tell us yeah. where folks can find it. Well, um, you can find me in a couple of places. One, uh, where I think many people are finding me these days, I think is through the being known podcast okay. and on, on any of the platforms that you use. So that's the being known podcast where I and Pepper Sweeney, my co-host, and our co-producer, Amy Chella, run that. And uh, we love doing that. We're just uh, about to launch our ninth season coming up here in a few weeks. Awesome. Um, you can also uh, find out about the work that I do on my website. That's KurtThompsonMD.com. Okay. Um, you can find me on uh, Instagram and Twitter. But then also, you can learn some things about 
these confessional community groups in these two different realms. One is through newstorybehavioralhealth.com. And that's with my colleague, Courtney Morrison, and about five or six other clinicians that are working in that, where we are doing this uh, work with confessional communities. And we're doing in-person intensive trainings okay. with that. And then there is the Center for Being Known, um, this nonprofit that we have launched and that is uh, making it possible for people to join in these confessional community cohorts. Uh, the most recent one just began a few weeks ago. And we have a conference once a year called Connections. It'll be coming up this year in October, the last weekend, October the 24th and 25th. Fabulous. Fabulous. All right. Well, we will link all of those resources in the show notes. If people are trying to rewind to get the, the details, you could just go down to the show notes as well as um, your books. We'll put yeah. links to those. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Thompson. We're going to close out the episode the way that we close out all of our episodes. And that's by asking this question. Rewind back to your first couple years of marriage. Mm. What advice do you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Hmm. I would want you, as you discover the things about yourselves that you didn't know, especially the things that are hard and the things that you wish that were different, I want to invite you to be kind to your younger selves that you will be tempted to shame for somehow not knowing better <laughs> such yeah. that I would have made this decision differently. I would have made that decision differently. If God has seared your union into one, then he's in it. And there's no history that is a mistake. Mm -hmm. Our mistake comes in when we turn around and shame ourselves for things that we wish that we'd done differently. Mm. And the less time we spend shaming ourselves, the more time and energy we have available for creating with our spouse what is right in front of us that God has for us to make, that he has done so, that he has planned from before the foundation of the world. Hear that, people. Thank you so much, Dr. Kurt Thompson, for pouring into us. We're so grateful. You're welcome.